0: ethics and marketing. Sometimes we struggle to reconcile the two, especially as we mindlessly scroll. With the rise of the internet and the boom of social media as a marketing platform, we are bombarded with messages every single day. These messages and the tactics used to push them can be expertly crafted and based on psychology to target people in unethical ways often exploiting vulnerabilities. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sit well with me. Today's guest, Shannon Droesky, has spent nearly 15 years in the marketing industry. She is on a mission to create a more ethical and inclusive online business culture, And she refuses to engage in tired sales and marketing strategies devised by the good old boys and is committed to cultivating new paths that raise the standard of what it means to do business as usual. I am so excited to chat about ethical marketing with Shannon today. You have no idea. I need a different word because exciting isn't a good enough word anymore. This topic has swept me off the ground and I could literally talk about it for days.
1: You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now refill your coffee cup Grab your notebook and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson.
0: Hello, Shannon. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited to talk to you
1: today. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited.
0: Me too. So I feel like we need to start with this small world moment that you and I had when we first connected. I learned about you through a friend of mine who lives in Chicago. And when I connected with you, then I learned that you're also Canadian and that one of my besties is your best friend's... Oh my gosh, you're going to have to help me.
1: My late best friend's brother's girlfriend.
0: There we go. So it was like this perfect small world Canadian moment where we learned that we just had like a degree of separation through all of that. And we met through a mutual friend who lives in Chicago.
1: Canada is the biggest small town. I love
0: that description. That is what we are. I love it. So enough about how our small worlds connected and more about you. Let's talk about how you came to be a marketing expert.
1: This dates back... Quite a ways, actually. So, when I was maybe 12 years old, I'd have to check the timeline for sure, but Melrose Place was the jam on TV. And I desperately wanted to be Amanda Woodward, who was played by Heather Locklear's character. And I just stuck with it. But she was an advertising executive and then moved on to be a partner in several. Different advertising and marketing firms. And so, right from the get go, I was like, I'm going to be her. And here we are.
0: (laughs) Here we are today. You're like, I'm not going to be Sydney. She's evil. She is evil. Oh, that was a good show. So, here we are today. You're a
1: marketing expert. And what types of clients do you normally service? So, now that I'm out on my own, I primarily work with wellness professionals a little bit more in that spiritual realm. Definitely people that are in, they're helping in the self-help and personal kind of development sphere, as well as it's kind of everyone that's transforming their own life too. So I've got a lot of virtual assistants and really starting from like ground up, like I have an idea and I'm going for it, but it's always with that back benefit of, I really want to help people but also live my life the way I want to. Absolutely.
0: And the thing that I like about how you speak about marketing and the reason why I was drawn to you is because I think especially of late, we're all locked up inside our houses and staring at screens and reading our brains out and we're experiencing this great white awakening that has really uncovered a lot of things about the systems that we live in that we may not have noticed before. And I'll say one of those things is that marketing obviously is a really effective way to create awareness and demand for something, but it may not always be done in an ethical way. And I'll use like a really broad example of a successful marketing campaign gone really wrong, and that is Brexit, or (laughs) some might say the Trump campaign. And in these cases, marketing was done really well, but not with good intentions. So I want to talk about that today with listeners. I think it's like kind of the darker side of marketing that you may find yourself caught up in. And I think I just wanted to talk to you today to bring awareness to that darker side of marketing and to let people know you only know what you know. And if you don't know something, then this is an opportunity to learn a little bit more. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to be an ethical marketer.
1: Well, so I'll just preface this a little bit by saying that it's really important to understand as business owners, whether we're a one person show or building teams or anything, business is our greatest tool to create change. And building our businesses obviously requires marketing and inside of marketing, lies an extremely large amount of power, which I'm not sure people consider or put too much thought into, but there is this power that you get when you start to market that you're now influencing other people. You are persuading other people. You can, like anything, do really amazing, beautiful things. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, there can also be a lot of harm. And I just really want people to be able to bring their focus in and consider what that power actually is and how they want to use it, right? So when we think about ethics in marketing, there's no clear cut line because ethics are different for everyone. Morals are different for everyone. It's all based on our own life experience. what we know to be true for ourselves, which is great and fine. But there are a couple of pieces that fit inside of that, that I think we can all start wrapping our head around and decide how we want to use it, right? So when we think about marketing, it's the beautiful thing that you have to be able to help another human. Because all of our products, all of our services, it doesn't matter if you are selling a drill or you are selling... Self help or anything like that. Everything is created with the intention of making somebody's life better and easier. We get into a little bit of tricky dynamics when we start to move our marketing away from doing good. Well, I think we always have the intention of doing good, but when we start to move towards all sorts of tactics and strategies that are really based in a lot of psychology. There's an entire book on it. It's called Persuasion, which has kind of become what would now be the bro marketer's handbook, really. But it was originally written by Robert Cialdini. And he wrote it as a way to like empower consumers because there are like such swings in the pendulum. When that pendulum starts to swing to the other side, is that we actually start creating a lot of harm. And we start to take advantage of our customers in the spirit of growing our business, if that sort of makes sense. I don't know if I drew that Venn diagram nice enough. I think you
0: did. And I think what you're saying is that we go from a place of, we've got this product that we really want you to know about. It's going to make a specific demographics life better in some way. That's what we've all set out to do. And I wholeheartedly agree that our intentions are good. But then somewhere along the way, when we're talking about growing our business and defining success, it starts to get muddied with profit. And I think that once that creeps in, things change a bit and our intentions change a bit. And now our intentions maybe aren't necessarily as focused on the betterment of the people that we're looking to serve, but more about what we have as our conventional definition of success, which often points to profit. And I actually did a poll on my Instagram stories recently because I was curious to know what collectively is our definition of success. And very few people actually said it had anything to do with driving a fancy car or having a pool in their backyard, just to be clear on that. (laughs) But I want to back up a minute because you use the word bro marketer And I don't know if everybody would know what you mean when you say that. So can you talk a little bit more about what that means?
1: Yes. So pro marketer, and I'm not even a big fan of this term myself. I don't feel like it encompasses what's really going on. When I refer to it, I kind of think about it as the good old boys, like the tactics that are devised by the good old boys. So if we start to think about maybe mad men and that kind of vibe to it, but... So bro marketers are it's really this collection of tactics and strategies that are used to put profit over people when really we're all in it for people over profit. And I'm not saying that we don't want profit. Everyone wants to reach new income levels and grow their businesses and all of that kind of stuff, which is beautiful and fine. But there's these sets of tactics and ways of influencing people. That are used, and what actually happens is they're literally designed to shut down a person's ability to think critically. And as that ability to think critically shuts down, we activate our automatic action response. And so we're no longer thinking about what we're purchasing, we're just purchasing.
0: Interesting. Can you give an example of that?
1: Yes. So when you read, maybe go down a big long, Sales page that takes you from (laughs) shame to hope to solution to buy now and time limits. You've just gone into somebody's psyche and you've kind of played with their own trauma. So they're in a stress response at this point in time. So when you're in a stress response, that's you're in fight, flight, or freeze, and your body is filling with cortisol. And you're not thinking clearly. And so your brain, in an effort to keep your body alive, so to speak, your brain just does the quickest thing to fix the problem, which is conveniently the buy now button. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So people aren't given the ability to actually consider because now you've got timelines and countdown timers and all things like that. And it's putting your own customers at a disadvantage to make an informed and accurate decision for themselves. I want to say 41% or maybe it's 49% of people are actually designed to make emotional decisions. So what that means is for them to make an aligned decision for themselves, they need to ride an emotional wave that naturally happens through their body. And when you start to throw in countdown timers, like, I mean, that was kind of my biggest one that I'm annoyed with, but countdown timers and things like that is that nobody has time to even ride their emotional wave. They don't even have time to acknowledge their emotional wave. And they're just having to buy now, buy now, buy now. And it's a good thing to be able to sell people something that they genuinely need and it's going to help them. I appreciate really great marketing because. I can move my life forward. I can move my goals forward. I can get what I need that's going to help me out. But the thing that comes in is when you go through those sequences and then you come out the other side and realize that, oh, that's actually not what I need. And then you're kind of screwed.
0: Yeah. And I think like at the most basic level, here's how I see it. And I'm going to throw Instagram under the bus because I've been doing that lately anyway. I find after a while of scrolling on Instagram, and I think listeners will relate, and that's why I'm using this as an example, I start to feel worse about myself. And it took me a little time to realize that, hang on, most of the people on Instagram are trying to sell me something. And so I guess what stood out to me as harmful marketing tactics are, to name a tactic, is the tactic in which I need to make you feel worse about who you are and your current state of being. So that you'll purchase the thing that I am going to sell you to bring you up to par, which is probably not really going to happen. Like, And I'm going to call out diet culture because I think that's a culprit as well as like cosmetics and the whole like aesthetic industry is that it needs to make you feel worse about how you look right now in order to sell you something that is going to make you, and I'm air quoting, look better. And that's when I start to see the real damage being done so I guess where I want to go next is like for the consumers who or the listeners who may be consuming this content because they're all business owners as well so let's think about this with both hats like as a consumer and as a business owner but when we're consumers and we're going through these things
1: what can we do to protect ourselves give yourself a minute so it happens very gradually and like you said, so that's not throwing Instagram under the bus. Instagram is a very neutral tool. It just exists. It's a platform. It's software. That's it. Instagram is not the problem. The problem is the marketing that people are choosing to use, you know, in an effort to either stand out further or what have you. You don't have to put somebody down to get their attention. And in fact, I would argue that that's actual abuse. That's the <laughs> Actual emotional abuse when you're constantly shaming somebody in order to be the one to help them. That's actual abuse. <laughs> to me, I'm like, okay, that's not good. But the best sort of advice I could give to anybody is take time, pull away, and then ask yourself is that actually true for me? Do I actually have that problem that everyone's telling me I have? Am I the problem that everyone's telling me I am? You're not. Absolutely. And like
0: I had a moment recently where we were traveling and I left all of like my blow dryer and my makeup bag and everything behind. And I thought, oh no, my knee jerk reaction was to go out and buy all those things again. And that's when I took a minute and I went, wait a second, why am I so compelled to go and buy these things right now? Why am I not fine just the way I am? And that's when I realized that over decades and potentially centuries, because I'm also reading a book now called The Patriarchy Stress Disorder, and I learned that you can actually pass some of these like negative emotions onto your offspring about your self-image, but that's a whole other topic. I realized that this was decades or centuries in the making. So I think a lot of these harmful marketing tactics aren't necessarily easy to see because they're so embedded in our culture and in our society that we don't even know that they're there.
1: It's so true. And we all have our own traumas and our own beliefs and our own insecurities, which is what it is. We all have that. That's not going to go away you know, completely. We all have that. I have a similar experience to you when I quit my life a few years ago and I sold everything I owned and I went and traveled just to regroup and I didn't bring a hair straightener and I went to... Southeast Asia. And I actually have curly hair. So I didn't bring a hair straightener. And I was like, I'm going to be so free. And then you look at people's photos of them traveling and these travel bloggers and these luxury lifestyles. And I'm like, Oh, no, a friend of mine and I met up about two months in. I couldn't wait for her to get there with her hair straightener. I gotta tell You missed it. (laughs) I missed it. But the thing is, is that we all have our own insecurities as marketers, as people in general. It's not our responsibility to manage other people's triggers. So I want to make that very clear. I think that's really important Like for people to be able to feel very empowered. And as the talk about bro marketing is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, I want people to really understand that it's not our responsibility to manage people's triggers. We can't possibly know. What's going to trigger somebody? It's our responsibility not to do it on purpose. Never to do it on purpose. So you bought a fancy camera or you're
0: thinking about buying one because it's clear to you that there is no shortage of beautiful moments or things in your life that you'd like to capture beautifully. But the record scratches because all the dials and buttons and settings are standing between you and your life in stunning photos. Well, my friend, I have just the fix the Ultimate Photography Starter Kit. This free resource includes a recommended equipment list, quick start checklist, and a beginner's guide to creating natural poses and candid moments to give you the confidence you need to dust off that fancy camera and start documenting your moments so they can last forever. The Ultimate Photography Starter Kit is completely free and it is everything you need to get started. So grab yours today at kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. That's kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. And I can't wait to see your framers in my scroll. Let's talk a little bit more for the business owners who are listening who might be thinking, okay, I don't want to create any harm, obviously, with what I'm selling. How can I do it in a way that's ethical and in a way that is not going to damage anybody? So
1: the most important thing I would say there is to really spend the time understanding your brand. And people tend to think that branding is a logo or the look of a business. But really, it's the soul of your business. It's the heart of your business. Your brand is everything that informs your business. It informs your business structure. It informs then your marketing and it informs the impact that you actually end up making. So focusing on your brand and being able to tell a story from within that. What are you here to do? What problem are you solving? Very, very simple things. Being able to create that connection and that trust from within your brand. And not just jumping to strategy because you need to know what you're strategizing and your brand is what you're strategizing.
0: Right. And I think a big part of that is being truthful, right? Because I know I see in my scroll all the time, like that redefinition of success, I'll call it, because my definition of success never involved a Lamborghini or a super fit body or a pool in my backyard. But I can't help but see that when I'm scrolling and this talk of hustle culture and, you know, if you work harder, then you will be more successful when the definition of success is that you're going to make more money. And I think the reality of that is that working harder doesn't equal more money. And I think that's a misconception that's been sold to us over the years as well that's worth addressing. And. I also, not to be all over the place, but now it's too late, I'm already all over the place. But recently it's been brought to my attention that that's also a harmful tactic to define success for you and to sell you on this being the definition of success and having people buy, in this case, would be like your program or whatever it is that you're selling to get you closer to success. So I also learned a bit about the tactics being used and how they overlap with cults an extremist religion, and MLMs. And now there's really been a spotlight on self-help gurus and celebrities because they're selling you on this alternate lifestyle if you attend their program or sign up for their program. So I would like to hear your thoughts on the intersection of these things and Also, like what advice you have for people as they navigate. I mean, we're all in a vulnerable place right now. COVID has been hard on everyone, especially women. So the self-help guru MLM industry really targets women and I want to protect women. So let's talk about
1: it. It's very fascinating to me as I watch, even in the online coaching space of business and self-help, it's really interesting to me to watch how self-help and business are starting to become the same industry. It's the same thing. And to me, that's really wild. But when we look at where that comes from, we can see. So when we start to go from the bottom up and climb the ladder, so to speak, then we see the 5, 10 major players, we'll call them, the big guys, and just how much they've actually touched along the way. So when we're looking at this guy, kind of, I, I hate naming names, but I'm going to do it.
0: We'll just say their name rhymes with Shmony
1: Bobbins. <laughs> yeah. And so Shmomi, <laughs> Shmomi he's been using these tactics for forever. Infomercial days, probably before I was even born. This guy's been crushing this. And he's now passed that on to everyone we look to in the online sort of business space as like the idols. And now they pass those down. And everyone's preaching this grand idea and these formulas and five figures to, to this, like they start to define people's vision of success. Visions of success are defined from that talk the 10k months to the 6k or the six figure, now seven figure, like the six figures isn't enough anymore. I don't even know when that happened, that six figures wasn't enough money. But now it's into the seven figure. So they've defined this whole vision of success. And they've fed it to everybody who's vulnerable and genuinely wants to change their lives and all of that kind of stuff. And then... (laughs) They've put all of those tactics, they've passed those tactics down and will certify people to teach these tactics, much like sort of an MLM, right? So it's, yeah, you work under me now. I don't know how their pricing structures work or anything like that. I haven't dove in all that far into it, but they come up with this thing and then not only do you go to learn it and you pay once to learn it or whatever, then you pay to license it so then you can also teach it as well which is very mlme but they use a lot of the shame tactics they use a lot of i don't want to say fake authority because they are very much connected with each other but you know the rags to riches stories that don't have actual credentials in them in any way shape or form or anything like that Then they start to, there's all of the manipulation sales psychology that they kind of use in all of their selling. And the reality is, is if everyone could have that dream the way they say, they would have it. But to this day, you still have people emptying their savings accounts and getting nothing back. And people empty their savings accounts to go to these live events and things like that. And I don't know how anyone in good conscience can take that. And of course, you would say, well, it's their decision. It's their choice to pay, right? But then when you look on the other side, it's like, no, your tactics actually ignited that automatic action response inside somebody's like physical being. And that's what cult leaders do. <laughs> that's what MLMs do. You start to sort of get very isolated. Entrepreneurship is very isolating on its own. You know, You don't need to create more of that. And then pressuring to be buying and believe what they believe, or else everyone that's gone through a bunch of these programs have had to sign NDAs, and that's why you'll never see a bad thing written on the internet. Because if you write a bad review, their lawyers will literally come for you, and they've got enough money to do that. They can come for everybody that they want to, you know. And you're just the person on the bottom side, and you want to be honest about your experience. I don't know if I signed an NDA. I was in one of those programs probably four years ago. It was at the time, 3000 US dollars. So it cost me probably around 5000 Canadian at that time. Horrible, horrible program. Horrible. I got nothing out of it. And not only that, because I have so much experience in marketing, I disagreed with 50, 75% of what was being said and taught inside the program. And nobody cares. I'm just out $5,000. That's it.
0: Yeah. I always found it interesting. I mean, I never knew a lot about MLMs, but what I will say is that they would instantly rub me the wrong way because anytime someone joined it, and it was almost always a woman, like a peer, and right out of the gate, they would start selling the lifestyle instead of the actual product. And that threw me, right? And I thought, okay, I see what's happening here. So I'm just going to stay away from that. But I will say about the self-help industry, because it's packaged the way it is, it's not as obvious. And so I'm really happy that we're having this conversation because I think especially given what's happened during the pandemic, we see women dropping out of the workforce at levels not seen since the 1980s. And right now, women are really vulnerable to these tactics. So I'm really happy that we're having the conversation because I want listeners to know discernment. I know we're all business owners and like we want to be ethical in our own businesses with the tactics that we're using. But more than anything, I want you to protect yourselves from these harmful tactics. These self-help gurus don't have any psychology credentials. If you're struggling with something, contact a therapist a psychologist, like an accredited person who is trained to help you with whatever it is you're struggling with. Not Shmoni Bobbins.
1: <laughs> I just can't let Shmoni. Mean, <laughs> a lot of his messaging actually contradicts itself if you pay attention to it long enough. You can just see like, well, that actually goes against what you said last month about X, Y, and Z. But, you know, so I just kind of tune that kind of stuff out. But it's such an important point especially as everyone's really starting to down with the patriarchy, right? Like I am woman, hear me roar. And I'm all for that. I love that. I want us all to own our power and do good with our power because I fully believe that it's women that change the world. Getting money in the hands of women is going to do so much good for our entire world, but it's not going to do that good if we just act like men in business. We're here to usher in a new way. What that way is, it's completely up to us to define. And that's why it's really important to be able to sink into what your brand is, what it is that you stand for. And I'm not meaning what you stand for is in like, I support this charity or anything like that. It's What do you as a brand stand for? What do your products, what's the long term? What's the long game? What's the ripple effect of your products and services, right? And it makes me really sad because as we're all really excited and owning our power and as Shmoni would say, unleashing the power within. I'm going to get him to pay me for that plug. (laughs) Shmoni, you have an invoice on the way. Yeah, he's good for it. Yeah, 100% he's good for it. But as we start to really step into ourselves, we want to make these changes. We want to live our life to the fullest, whatever that means for us and whatever that means for us is different and it's all going to look different. So it puts us in a very vulnerable place. As a business coach, I understand that I don't just hold my dreams in my hand. I hold my clients too because they're trusting me to get them there. And I just think that that is such a beautiful power to hold and it needs to be respected. And I don't see that being respected at all.
0: Agree. And I love that you said that just because we're women, it doesn't mean that we don't uphold some of these harmful systems and beliefs. And when we use terms like bro marketer, It doesn't mean that it's just men.
1: Exactly. And that's why I have the problem with the bro marketer term is because it's gendered and that makes it very foggy to understand. The tactics, yes, they've been around for forever. They've been around since before women were working and they're just being passed down. It's rooted in patriarchy is what we can say. It's rooted in patriarchy and it's being brought forward, repackaged, thrown online, And now it's affecting the masses as everybody's trying to, especially after this last year, what a nightmare we've all had, all of us. But society's most vulnerable people have had it 150 times worse. And those are the people that are, they're more desperate to get out of these situations they're in. So they're more at risk and susceptible to these tactics. And I just think that we need to be paying closer attention and really, I mean, the number one thing you can do, because as I said, we have different sets of ethics based on where we are, what we know, what we experience, what we've sort of looked into, especially over the last year, the learning, the unlearning that we've all done. We're all in different spaces with all of this. But before you put something out, just take a look and say, would I like to read that? Would I like to hear that? Does that feel okay for me? I'm a really sarcastic person. Sarcasm is my love language. It's really great for people that I know. We have a lot of fun. We joke around. You know, it's, I can be very funny if you know I me, mean. <laughs> right? But I'm very sarcastic. So I need to be very careful in the messaging that I put out because sarcasm kind of can take that negative aspect or whatever, and kind of tug on it. So I pay really close attention to the stuff that I kind of put out and make sure, okay, did I take that too far? Does that, how can that be interpreted? If I look through it from somebody else's lens, that's not me not having my experience. What does that look like?
0: Yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. I as well love humor. In my day-to-day life, that's like you said, my love language. I use it a lot. I really struggle with it on the internet, because I don't know how it'll be received. And I certainly don't want it to trigger or harm or create any harm. So for the most part, I leave it out. But I would like to, at some point, learn how to be funnier with content.
1: (laughs) You don't have to learn how to be funnier. You're already funny. You just have to be comfortable in your message to include the humor.
0: Yes. And I'm not there yet. But totally... like appreciate what you said, that a good check is to read what you're putting out and just consider it from different angles. And also to consider the fact that there are people who are in very sensitive situations, especially
1: right now. Especially right now. And that's kind of what really bugs me too. One of the bro marketing tactics is along the same lines as lifestyle, but Everyone's out here talking about their income. Everyone's out here. Oh, I made this much money on this launch and I made X amount of dollars. And I've seen people show their income statements. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But when we start to see that long enough, that's what we start to internalize. You know, when you see something long enough, you believe it. When you say something enough times, you believe it. You know, that's how people end up believing their own lies <laughs> 10 years down the road. When you say something long enough, you believe it. So when you are taking in The same message over and over and over again, unconsciously, you just start to believe it. And it's already gonna start to play on your own internal triggers and traumas and life experiences and belief systems that you've created for yourself. So I feel like it's just very prevalent in the like online business coaching space, which I will fully admit, like my algorithm serves that to me because that's the industry that I'm in. So I see a lot more of it than a lot of other people probably do. But the questions that I always start to ask when I start to see the income, because instantly when you tell somebody what you made, you're playing on a basic human fear, a basic human need, like a foundational one, which is like your financial stability. Mm -hmm. need that to not feel stressed all the time. We are in a state of chronic stress, especially after this last year that we've all had. And when you start to lead... With your income, you're playing on that primal fear of their own scarcity and that they're not making enough money and they're not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. But now they have to invest double, triple in that amount to get to that level, which doesn't make much sense to me. Marketing is a lot simpler than what people make it seem 100%. It's the branding that's the most amount of work. But when people are leading with this income, the questions that I always ask is, <laughs> number one, like, why are you telling me that? <laughs> number two, how much of that did you take home? Because you can bring in a ton of money, but you might not even be running your expenses very well or anything like that, right? So how much of that did you take home? How often are you able to repeat that? This is a one-time thing, a two-time thing, like, and then even what does that look like over time? You might have a $30,000 month, let's say, but if you make $3,000 the rest of the year, you're like you're not coming out really on top. Like that's not something to lead with.
0: Yeah, I think it's worth drawing attention to because how many times in the run of your day is there nuanced signaling about what success looks like and why is that person sharing that with you? So just like... Going forward, as you're scrolling social media, if somebody happens to slip a Lamborghini in their background or if they happen to slip their income statement into their stories, unless they're teaching you mathematics, that is a reason to ask
1: questions. It is a reason to ask questions. And then I wonder too, like we'll throw the last question on there. How often do your clients make that? amount as well. Because if you're leading with yours, I've got questions for what you're doing with everyone else. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. I hear this conversation all the time. It's like, we as women, we need to be more comfortable talking about money. We need to feel empowered when it comes to money. And I'm like, yes, a hundred percent we do. But you selling products and services using your income as the driving sales pitch is not talking about money that's not educating about money, that's not creating comfort around money, that's literally tapping into somebody's primal need for financial stability, which especially over this last year, everyone's experienced their own kind of wild venture.
0: Yes. So I'm in the photography industry. And if I'm inspired by a photographer who happens to slip in the knowledge that they own two condos in Hawaii and a lake house somewhere else and a house somewhere. There's a sign that I'm not just going to learn photography from that person. So I get it. So I always like to end these episodes. And of course, I'm going to link up all the ways to get in touch with you. I think you're fabulous and everybody needs you in their life. I'm going to link up all the ways to get in touch with you in the show notes. Also, I always like to end these episodes with like, a really good send off piece of advice. And I know that this episode was like a little less typical than usual, because we're not really dishing out business advice. But I still think the message is really important. So I guess just I wanted to leave this with like a send off piece of advice for listeners. So I'll just let you decide if that's going to be a piece of business advice or otherwise. What's one thing that people can do today to take a step further in understanding marketing?
1: I think the number one thing that I would always tell everyone to do in a world that is hustle culture is a billion dollar industry. The number one thing that I can tell anyone to do is take a step back, give yourself a minute and then connect back to why am I doing this in the first place? Why this product? Why this service? And what's that ripple effect? if I look down the line.
0: I love that. And is there evidence that what they're selling will actually happen to me?
1: Exactly.
0: Oh, we didn't even talk about testimonials.
1: I could go for (laughs) games.
0: Well, maybe we'll have to do a part two because this topic is very top of mind for me lately. Shannon, I appreciate you so much and that you took the time to have this conversation with me today. I know it was a little different than my typical topics, but I'm here for it. And I think you're just a wealth of knowledge. And like I said earlier, I think everybody needs a little bit of you in their life because discernment is one of those skills that people in our age group didn't necessarily learn because we couldn't have predicted where we are today. And I think it's so important for people to take that minute that you talk about and analyze the things around them and to make really informed decisions. So thank you for that. I think it's invaluable. And I speak on behalf of all the listeners today when I say thank you so much.
1: You are most welcome. And thank you for having me. And thank you to everyone who's heard this. I appreciate it. If there's any questions, I just love talking to people. So just everyone can just feel free to get in my DMs or whatever if there's anything that needs to be talked about further.
0: I think we can all remember a time when we've individually been suckered by an unethical marketing tactic like that pretty dress impulse purchase that graced my scroll a few weeks ago and arrived at my doorstep looking Absolutely nothing like it did in the cute video of the tanned model twirling around, and the return shipping cost was as much as the dress. So I was stuck with a pile of cheap fabric and a garment that looked like a well, okay, I won't get into that, but all to say that it doesn't feel good to be on the receiving end of a sneaky marketing tactic. So why would we use these same techniques in our own businesses? Our businesses are our greatest tool to create change and building this change-making machine requires marketing and that is okay. Ensuring that our marketing efforts are focused on helping people and not just lining our pockets will ensure that our message is authentic and truly resonates with people who would buy our products anyway. They just need to know we exist. It is a beautiful thing to help another human. And I think it is safe to say that if you're listening to this episode, you have a product or service that you can feel good about marketing to the world because you know it will help someone. And I know you're here because you care more about that than money anyway. I mean, we live in a capitalist world, so money is great and all, but the real currency in our life is the quality of our relationships, in my humble opinion. I would love to know if you agree. I really loved Shannon's advice of defining success for yourself and not what is showing up on your Instagram feed, curated by people who are trying to define success for you. So please pay attention. When you see a fit body, a fancy car, a luxury handbag, or a beautiful house in your scroll, I challenge you to dig a little deeper before you decide, this is the true picture of success. In a world where hustle culture is doing more harm than good, Shannon recommends that we take a step back and reconnect to our why. Don't lose touch with why you started this business of yours in the first place, my friend. And remember, your legacy is not your paycheck. We might have to continue this conversation in a part two, because I could quite literally talk about this topic for several days straight. (laughs) I am so grateful that you joined us here today, and I would truly love to hear your voice on the subject. Throw something into the comments on my Instagram, or in the reviews on iTunes, or send me a DM or an email, or bring back the singing telegram if you like that would be pretty cool. (laughs) The point is, I just want to hear from you. It's an important conversation and there is always a seat for you at my table, no matter where you stand on the topic. Till next week, Workshop Warrior. Bye for now.